0: You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 3, powered by supporting partners, One Day, Propel Insurance, The Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity. BTG Voice is a podcast dedicated to inform, educate, and influence the future of housing and services for seniors. Learn more at btgvoice.com.
1: Welcome to Bridge the Gap podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas. A really touching and emotional show today. We're very honored to have our guest on the show program today. His name is Tom Fry. He's a former New York City police officer, detective during 9/11, and during that time, he also uh, contracted pulmonary fibrosis. You're an advocate and a speaker for the Pulmonary Fibrosis Association. September is uh, PF month as well as we've got the anniversary of nine eleven here too. Uh, so very honored to have you on the show, Tom. Welcome.
2: Thank you, guys.
1: Tom, uh, we had some time to talk before we hit record and we're really captivated by your story. Please bring us back to those days back in uh, uh, 2001 and tell us uh, your story.
2: Well, September 11th, it was just like any other day. Uh, I was a police officer, a detective. Uh, We did investigations. And you you never knew what could happen as a police officer. Every day was a different adventure. And as a detective, it was like front row seats to the pet show in town. So we never knew what was going to happen. And 9-11 happened. And we were sent down. In the beginning, as rescue and recovery. So we went down, and we dug, and we tried to find survivors. And we did our best, and that was the beginning of uh, the first couple of few days That's what we did. From there, it went on to DNA testing. Uh, Family members would come into what we call DNA testing sites, and they would bring belongings such as toothbrushes, combs, things of that matter, which contained DNA of their loved ones who they were still trying to find. Uh, and, and then we logged that all in for the medical examiner's office. Um, eventually, it became where they took the, the remains of the World Trade Center and they transferred all the Staten Island to the Staten Island and and at the landfill, we would go through the remains of the building with rakes and buckets, and we would put everything into a sifting machine, and we would try to find human remains, you know, pieces of the plane, things of that matter, so, you know. Uh, and then at the end of our journey of 9-11, I guess, as a detective, it became death notifications. When the DNA's office when the medical examiner's office identified the dna we had to go notify family members that their remains of their loved ones were found and uh that was pretty much the journey of the world trade center uh it became a very trying time on every first responders lives family lives uh you know, we were working 18-hour days, six, seven days a week. Uh, there was no rest. We were exhausted. It became cold and wet and rainy and smoky. And, you know, it was a very hard time. Uh, and it brings back, not just to me, but every first responder It brings a lot of pain back to it when we talk about it. Uh, and that's police and fire and sanitation. I have friends who were, worked for the transit authority as track workers for the subway. And even they had to go in and dig it down on the bottom of the subway tunnels. And they're being sick and injured now today. Uh, so it was sanitation workers. It ran the gamut construction workers who who brought the cranes in. It was a tough time.
0: Wow. Tom, so you covered... Um you covered a lot right there. I mean, that's some heavy stuff. Um, you know, and, and I know we could sit here and, and you could share just incredible stories for a long time, but give us a little bit of a perspective, you know, cause you took us from, you know, waking up that morning to, to basically through a bucket brigade, through sifting, through DNA testing, through notification, what what from a time perspective help us understand what 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 does that time frame look like? Are we talking days, weeks, months, years? I mean, what what was that?
2: It, it went on for months. The digging and uh, the sifting, the death notifications went on for years. You would get the call, and it would be, "Hello, this is whoever from the medical examiner office." And you knew what it was. We have a death notification, a World Trade Center death notification. And we used to have a death notification log just for the World Trade Center. And uh, you knew what it was. And uh, it was tough. It was tough. Uh, That's basically, basically. But I'll tell you one thing that got us, got me through it, is the community support. In New York City. The community came alive. They came into the police station. Restaurants would bring us hot meals. Uh, socks were donated by sporting goods stores, boots, toothbrush, uh, under, you know, deodorant, T-shirts. These are all things that we needed. And they, the community got together and and took it to us, to the police station. The Red Cross fed us at the, at the landfill and at the World Trade Center site, they actually had portable kitchens like, uh, like the food trucks, and they would feed us. It was actually, they're the ones that got us through this, or got me through it was the community. I remember after months of doing this one day, I was, I was really exhausted. I was tired. Family life was not going well because of the hours. and the, You know, it's insanity. Imagine going to work and doing that every day. It takes a toll. PTSD is through the roof of the first responders, or anybody who was near it went through some sort of PTSD. Uh, I got a box one day. They would give us things, and it was from a classroom, I would say, in Idaho or somewhere. It was from a third grade class, and it was full of cookies and cards. Thank you for what you're doing and all this good stuff. And At that point, I was thinking about taking an early retirement, and it stopped me, and kept on going further. And, uh, yeah, it went on for a while. I remember going to a doctor after about eight months, and I basically collapsed in his uh, office. Uh, I was just ex- exhausted physically, me- mentally. And I had my, my first battle of something in the respiratory disease area. I had bronchitis. I had never had bronchitis before, but that was the beginning of the medical problems uh, after about eight months.
0: Well, you know, Lucas, um, I know you and I are old enough. We've got a a very diverse audience, um, all different ages, all over the country, all over the world. And I know you and I are old enough, and we've shared some of our stories in the past um, about, you know, where we were, what our emotions were. But the point Tom just made about what got him and many of the people through it was the community. And, you know, I I do remember that. You, You think of... Oftentimes, sadly, uh, through tragedy, um, it's amazing how the fabric of what a community is during really dark times, r- really traumatic times, really shows. And I can I can remember um, our, our it felt like our whole nation. You know, suddenly uh, the things that seemed so important to us when we woke up that morning. Um, and we thought our whole world revolved around didn't suddenly seem to really matter anymore, and everyone's attention turned to what was happening there, the people on the front lines, and it and it stayed that way for a long time. And you know that's something that um, you know I, I wish there was some way for us to hold on to that. You know, it's something that our country I feel like really needs right now is to go back to the humanity of of who we are as individuals. Uh, not caring about a lot of the, the the nonsense that goes on every day, and, and really keeping the important things at center focus. Right?
2: Oh, I agree one hundred percent with you. I'll tell you a story not nine related, incident related that really made an impact on me about two weeks ago, and it was something through Facebook. I got a letter through their messenger service, and somebody said, "Is this Officer Fry who used to work?" I used to have a footpost back in the day, and it was 86 to 90th Street from Broadway to Central Park West. And we had some lower-income areas. You went from the richest to the poorest in that area. And I used to have some schools, and I used to take care of the kids on the beat. And uh, one kid was running into trouble, and he came up to me, asked me for help, and I got him a, a job at a, a local pharmacy. It was Ricky's ph- looking good, feeling good pharmacy. And the kid wrote me a letter two weeks ago. After after 25, it's got to be oh, 25, 30 years, he wrote me a letter thanking me for saving him and getting him this job and changing his life. And do you know what? That's better than you could come up with a million dollars. of Money doesn't matter. That letter was so, you know, it made me feel like, yeah. As a cop, you want to hear 9 11 stories? I could tell you 9 11 stories in this story. How about kids I used to have to buy shoes for when they had holes in them going to school? Or you buy kids lunch, or a senior citizen that was held up in their apartment couldn't get out and bringing them food. Or, you know, this is what we ran into on a daily basis. Being a cop is not just crime fighting. But anyway, I don't want to drag you. I could drag you down so many holes. <laughs> So, But but that really made a difference. This kid's letter to me 25 or 30 years later.
0: Wow. Well, you know, I, I it's it's just a testament. Uh, and it's a good reminder. And it's stuff that we, we need to remind our audience of and, and firsthand response of that, not only to the amazing work of our frontline workers, but to show gratitude. So it, it's awesome to hear that, you know, um, when that thought comes and, and we all have those or man, you know, maybe I should send an email, maybe a text or a note or a letter or something. And we are like, Oh no, that's, you know, I'll bypass that. You never know what opportunity you have there to really make someone's day, uh, meaningful. So thank you for sharing that. So let's transition a little bit because, you know, you just begin to foreshadow, Um, some of, like you talked a little bit about bronchitis and you know, that maybe that was the, the precursor to something that you are now battling with. So take us through your, your medical journey, um, a little bit and and share with us some of the things that you've, you've been challenged with since your, your time. So we'll get
2: into medical. Uh, I retired after 20 years, I was living a nice, happy life in Florida. Uh, sunshine and palm trees <laughs> Went to the doctor in February of 2016 Regular checkup And that's when this journey began for me uh, My Dr. Kumar, great guy He took takes a blood test every three months And the nurse calls me Tom, Dr. Kumar wants to see you right away And I oh crap, this can't be good So I get in there pretty quick actually you never seen me move so fast. And, uh, he goes, listen, Tom, your white blood cells are off the chart. Something's wrong with them. You have cancer. That's the bottom line. I had cancer. Well, doc, what kind of cancer? I don't know. So it ended up, I had a uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, a blood cancer, common in world trade center responders due to the toxins in the pile." Um, uh, my treatment was going to be chemotherapy, 12 rounds of chemotherapy. Uh, it was called ABVD, and one of, that's the mix of the chemotherapy mix. If anybody ever goes through cancer, research your chemotherapy uh, medicine. So one of the medicines were gliomyosin. Um, I'm not going to take you down the chemotherapy path, but the gliomyosin, is what started the pulmonary fibrosis for me. It set my set my lungs on fire, uh, and basically caused the. I got shortness of breath one day. Told the doctor, he sent me to a pulmonologist. I went to this pulmonologist, and uh, basically he said to me like robotic, "You have pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, you were poisoned by papa bu- papa." Bu- bu- Uh, there is nothing we could do for you, and sent me out the door. And I was going, well, doc, what is this pulmonary fibrosis? Isn't there anything, a medication? No, nothing we could do for you. So I said, oh, good, it's not cancer. I said, this is great. I have pulmonary fibrosis. This is great. Nothing they could do for me. I'm going to be fine. It was fine until I went home and Googled it. (laughs) Basically, he sent me home to die, this guy. And uh, the next day after reading all this, I like pulled the fire alarm. I'm calling the doctors and basically was told me to get my affairs in order. I then went to my oncologist at the time and he told me, I said, well, you think I'll get four years out of this? He said, I'll pray for you. Good God, I am in big trouble here. Uh, The estimate is two to five years. Is your life expectancy from pulmonary fibrosis. A lot of doctors, like the one I went to, he's a pulmonologist. If you had asthma, I am sure he's a perfect doctor for you. But pulmonary fibrosis, it was not the guy's forte. So I had to learn about pulmonary fibrosis. And doctors don't know about it. A lot of doctors don't know about it. So, of course, You get on the internet now, I found the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. And they got me through this, really. Uh, I support groups online, chats, uh, doctors. They have it all for this disease. Nobody else did. And uh, I found a specialist at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. So I went to him, and I started finally getting the proper help. There's no miracle for this. There are some drugs that could slow it down. There's none that could cure it. Uh, Because they know what caused mine, I'm not eligible to have the drugs. It's for IPF, idiopathic. They don't know what caused the pulmonary fibrosis. For me, they know what caused it. Uh, So I live with the oxygen, and I have about eight or nine medications on my table. My, uh, My life is gone. From a normal life to every week, it's a different doctor's appointment. Be it the cancer, which is in remission, thank God. Uh, but the cancer—forget about the cancer. That's—I'll I'll take it back <laughs> if I could get rid of the uh, pulmonary fibrosis. But uh, you learn how to deal with this pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, when you deal with people online, you know. Thank God for the internet and like your podcast. This is what keeps us people with our terminal diseases going. We have to find other people. For me, it was finding other people that had this disease. So the the average is two to five years when you get diagnosed with this. Uh, It gets very hard for you to breathe. Eventually, it's going to be, it's like breathing through a straw at times. So I have this machine. And, you know, some days are good days. Some days are bad days. Temperatures. If it's too hot outside, I have to put it up a little. If it's too cold, you turn it down. If you're walking, you turn it up. If you're sitting, you turn it down. You have to start learning uh, about pulmonary, you know, how to live with the disease. Uh, so that's my life now. <laughs> so so uh, do you have any questions at this point or, or do you want me to just keep rambling? You know, because I can ramble you right down this rabbit hole, so anyway now i run a for the pulmonary fibrosis foundation i am an ambassador so i talk to different groups different people such as yourselves about the disease uh you know what causes it they don't know what causes it in my case they do and the majority of people they don't know what caused it uh it could be chemicals it could be woodworking it could be tons of different things uh I also run a support group meeting. Now most of the people are much older than me that are in the meetings. So I became the sort of support group leader, unfortunately, through through death. I became, you know, the original founder of our group died. And I was next in line. Uh, and it's it's a tough disease. Mostly mostly the people are about 20, 25 years older than me that come through the door there, you know, uh, learning how to adjust to live with this disease, learn how to use the oxygen tank. I was in a restaurant the other day and I hear this beeping and it's an alarm that I have on my oxygen machine. And the beep means something's wrong. Either I'm not getting oxygen. My battery's low. The, the hose is kinked and you know, something like that. I'm, I'm going, I'm looking at my machine and it was fine. And a minute later, I heard the beacon again. It's fine. I'm saying, what the hell is wrong with this machine? The beeps are going off. It happens it was an elderly lady on the next table with the husband next to me. And I look, and she had the same oxygen machine as me. And I'm trying to get her attention. It was her husband. She said, she's deaf. She can't hear. I said, well, her oxygen machine, the alarm's going off. Oh, she's not breathing through the tube right. That's why it's going off. So I said, "Well, she's got to adjust the tube and this and that." And it turns out she had IPF. She had the same disease that I had, and she had just recently got diagnosed with it. And she didn't even know how to use the machine. So this is where, like, the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation comes into play. How does she have a machine and not know how to how to use it? Or you know, it's it's sad, but these are the things uh, that go on. So.
1: You know, Tom, Tom is, he, he's out saving the world, no matter if he's having breakfast or or what, he's out there.
2: And let me let me get something. Don't feel sorry for Tom, right? <laughs> let me tell you, when the doctor told Tom, you know, pack your stuff up, get it together, it's time to go. Uh, for the first six months, I sat around and I was waiting to die. I, I'll tell you what, I was waiting, you know, I'm going like, what? Well, this is it. I've got six months, I should be out of here. And then after six months when I didn't die, I said, screw this. I said, screw this, man. I'm going to live. I'm not going to sit around and feel sorry for myself. And you know what? I, I, I constantly keep moving. I'm not a guy to sit around in the house and wait to die. Not me. So I do my ambassador stuff. I'll talk to people. I'll represent. It's a great organization. I'll run the support group meeting and I'll take the phone calls and talk to people and try to get them through it. I talk to other cops who are having problems, not just with PF, uh, uh, I know guys with prostate cancer, stage four. And they said, we talked to each other. There's a cop, Lou Alvarez. He was on uh, at the uh, congressional, at the uh, Senate hearings for funding with John Stewart. I have a plaque over here he made for me. And Lou and myself used to talk before he passed away. And he got me through. He went through six, 69 rounds of chemotherapy. And I went through 12 and I felt like a sack of crap. He went through 69 rounds of chemotherapy. Could you imagine? I I wouldn't be able to do it. This guy had kids 14, 15 years old, and that's why he did it. But I'm not going to sit around. I don't feel sorry for myself. And when they diagnosed, yeah, you could sit around. But I went on cruise ships until they stopped. I would go on a cruise ship every month or two. I would go to New Orleans, New York City I'd be in every month or two. You know, I kept on the move, and, and I still keep on the move. I work at a college two days a week in the security department. I answer the phone. But at least they go, why are you doing this? Why are you going out and answer the phone? Because I need some sort of purpose in life, you know. Uh, my life is not over, and I'm going to be the guy that's going to live 18 years with this disease. So, so let's. I'll make you guys a deal. We're going to do this show again next year, same time, all right?
0: Because I'm not going anywhere, so that's a deal man. That's deal. a deal. <laughs> so um, Tom, you know you're educating me, you know my eyes are getting opened wider and wider to this. I, I'm assuming there's probably a growing number of people around me um, that that are carrying oxygen around just like you are that are probably battling with this and I, I didn't even know the name of what they're suffering with. I'm assuming the foundation that you're a spokesperson for an ambassador for, you know, obviously trying to find a cure, but the other things I'm hearing, which, you know, I think is where we can also help is it sounds like education and support have been two really key components of what have helped you, but also what you're trying to help others with. Is that right?
2: That's right. hundred percent.
0: So can you give us a little bit of a snapshot, um, You may not have numbers or stats, but I mean, what is the prevalency of this? Because you, you, I mean, you even yourself said not too many even doctors know about it. I've certainly didn't. What is the prevalency and what's the growing? Is this like a a major growing issue? Is it still a small It appears
2: to be growing. I can't give you the exact numbers. But as I think this was a totally misdiagnosed disease years ago, and now they're getting the proper testing for it. And the doctors are testing, becoming more aware of the signs of the disease. I think it used to be diagnosed as possibly COPD in the past or things like that. And now they they are diagnosing it properly. So, so it's not it's not a common disease though. It's more of a rare type disease. Have you ever heard of pulmonary fibrosis before uh, you were doing this show?
0: Me personally, I had not, no. When that came across... Me
2: personally, I never heard of it. And everybody I talk to, you know, they say, hey, I've got pulmonary fibrosis. Oh, Nobody's heard of it. So so that's why we're getting the word out. By doing your show, you know, somebody, hopefully we're going to connect to somebody who connects to somebody who connects to somebody, you know?
0: Sure. So what you said that you're you're still um, going to doctors, you take a lot of meds, you've got your oxygen. What does treatment life look like? I mean, what are the treatments for this?
2: There there is no cure treatment for this. Uh, You could do a lung transplant. That's your ultimate goal. I was actually looking into a lung transplant at New York Will Center, New York University in New York right before COVID just hit at the same time. So when the smoke clears from all of this, I'm going to go back to New York Hospital in New York. And they're two wonderful doctors I met at a pulmonary fibrosis function. It was called Broadway Bell, said I did in February, and uh, discussed further doing a possible lung transplant. But if you go through chemotherapy, a lot of hospitals don't want to do A lung transplant took five years after your chemo. Uh, But it appears that New York Hospital would make the exception. Some will make the exception. So otherwise, your treatment would be oxygen, uh, steroids, prednisone, and uh, like a Z-Pak type thing. So you're trying to keep your lungs and airways open. Uh, It's very difficult. I can't be in any... If I'm around any smells, chemicals, somebody smoking, like somebody smokes, the smoke will go into this machine uh, because this machine is getting air from from the surrounding, from the air, you know, and it's going into the machine. So if somebody's smoking, it gets into my machine and I'll be and taking it into my lungs. If somebody with heavy perfume comes into the elevator I'm in, It's going to get into the machine, and I'm going to – so these things could set me off. Uh, You have setbacks. You're going to have good days and bad days. If I catch a flu, uh, the flu will put me in the hospital, which has happened a few times with pneumonia. So, uh, you know, and I've been laid up a few times with that. So I was wearing masks before masks were prevalent, uh, you know, before they were in fashion, the masks – uh, I was wearing them before they were in fashion. Two years, I used to get crazy looks. I'd get on the airplane, I'd have my oxygen tank, and to get on the airplane with these oxygen tanks, that's a whole another thing. Why you need this foundation? You have to learn how to how to fly, how to travel with these things. You have to get paperwork and permission, and yeah, you know, you have to go through TSA and give yourself an extra half hour because they have to check this uh, through the bomb equipment and swipe it for explosives and. You know, the airlines want special permission and doctor slips and you have to have enough battery power for a flight and a half. If the flight's three hours, you're going to have four and a half, five hours of battery. Uh, so these are the things you deal with. And I would be with my mask on the plane and people would look at me like I was nuts. But it's, now I'm not so nuts. <laughs> so, so that's what you have to uh, you have to deal with. Uh uh, but with this disease, it's important that you keep moving. Uh, don't sit down and die. Keep moving. I would go, and I still go, uh, to Target. And I take my tank and I take my dog. And my dog drags me around Target. And I put this oxygen tank in the cart. And the dog and I would go around the shop three or four times with the cart. The cart's like my wheelchair. And uh, well, not my, it's like my walker. So I'll take the cart and I'll zip around Target three or four times. And that's my exercise for the day. Or it could be Home Depot or it could be Walmart or, you know, wherever you feel comfortable with. So just get up and keep moving. So
0: I, I can't think of a, a better spokesperson. And, you know, what I'm just sitting here thinking is I constantly try to encourage our team's That to encourage themselves and to encourage, um, you know, our residents that's within the aging population that to never forget their their purpose on this earth in spite of their frailty, in spite of disabilities, to constantly be recognizing that that as long as they're breathing, they have a God-given purpose. And for you, you know... It is evident to me you were placed on this earth to help other people and it's been evident that you've been doing that uh from early in your life and so i'm honored to be able to spend just a little bit of my day with you thank you for sharing it with me and lucas and um it's truly inspiring and and i hope that uh, well i know that our audience is is gonna love hearing your story it's it's very inspirational as well as educational well thank
2: you uh, for having me again and remember anybody who does come down with this or if you know somebody who has this reach out to the pulmonary fibrosis foundation they are a fantastic organization they will help you with all the educational material and support and upcoming medical trials and you know there are things coming up in, in the pipeline uh, I met an interesting doctor at a seminar once, you know, through this organization. She was making lungs in Texas. I, I you know, it, but there's things coming out. Will I be alive for it? I, you know what? I hope so. I have the saying, nobody gets out of here alive. So once again, I'm going to go kicking and screaming. I'm not going so easy, but, uh, you know, they have a lot of stuff coming out, a lot of medications. They have trials going on. So there is hope. Don't give up hope. Keep moving. Don't forget the foundation. If you could financially support them, they always need financial support for the good work that they do. Uh, They're there for us, so use them. Uh, If I could ever be of help, look me up, Tom Fry, F-R-E-Y. I'll be glad to help you out, glad to try to set you in the right direction, get you to support group meeting. Uh, You know, try to help you. That's the best I could do. So
1: we will make sure that we connect all of that in our show notes. What a riveting conversation. Uh, you know, Tom Fry, you're an advocate, a survivor, and a responder. You've given your life to serving others in this country. And we thank you for that. We appreciate your time on our program today.
2: Okay. And listen, we'll do it again next year and the year after that. Uh because once again I was dead two years ago according to a certain doctor. I was not going to be here any longer. So we'll keep doing it. We'll see you next year.
1: We look forward to that, Tom. We will make sure that we do that. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure that we connect everything in the show notes. Thanks to all of our listeners. We hope you have a good day. We're thinking of you and we're praying for you. We're rooting for you in the senior living industry. Have a great day. And thanks for listening
0: to Bridge the Gap. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridge the Gap, the Senior Living Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So visit btgvoice.com for all things about the podcast. Powered by supporting partners, One Day, Propel Insurance, the Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity.